0: Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the Reconciling Grace of Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, I'm one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. On our panel today are Vicki Cundiv. Vicki is one of the associate pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. Mick Wells is here. Mick is part of Wells of Salvation Ministry. He has been such since 1980. He is also one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program. And you know, folks, we're missing Steve Wilson today. Steve and his wife are... Uh, enjoying a little bit of time away, and we want to wish them God's blessing and refreshing and renewal. We expect Steve to be back with us uh, soon, probably not today or with our next program, but Steve is scheduled to be back with us soon, and we want to wish Steve all of God's best. And we're going to be sharing today a topic about, I guess the best way to put it would be the prosperity gospel. Mick, you're going to be the one sharing the basic outline here today, would that be a good title? Yeah, I think so,
2: although I believe it is a misnomer. Um, Many of you listeners have heard about the prosperity gospel. I personally don't believe, after peeling back the banana here, that it's a gospel at all. Gospel is good news. This is a movement, Uh, the prosperity gospel is a movement across uh, Christian ranks and it's not confined to any one denomination or or group of folks, but I do think it's worth our time in examining some of the basic tenets of the prosperity gospel. We're going to look at some of the problems with it. We're also going to point you to scriptures which talk about uh, how God wants us to prosper. Now, you will find the word prosper in the Bible— but a fair reading of Scripture, comprehensive reading of Scripture, I th- don't think you'll be able to tie it to what's labeled a prosperity gospel today. This gospel is a, what I would call, kind of a fur-lined mouse trap. It can be very appealing to our basic materialistic natures. And so we can fall into it easily. We can fall victim to it easily. What really matters in reconciling grace is serving God, and what does God think of this thing? And so we're going to take a look at what it is and what it isn't. I saw, uh, you know, aside from Scripture, once in a while I run into a quote that I really like, whether it's going to come from a daily calendar that you tear off or, <laughs> or even a fortune cookie. I, I once read this quote. It says, The man who has everything wants two of everything. (laughs) And I thought, that's pretty good.
1: That would explain people who are head over heels into the prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that kind of thing said before, not in that particular way, but I can't remember who said it, but I think it was a very rich person who was asked, how much is enough? And his answer was something along the lines of a little bit more than you have. A little bit more than you have. And that's,
2: I don't know if it's a truth or a truism or or what, but uh, certainly resonates with a lot of people, because we never seem to be satisfied unless we're seeking God and what he gives us in terms of blessings. Materialism simply will not give us fulfillment. Well, I'd like to set the context for this with a couple of scriptures, and Vicki, would you share with us to start off with the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 8 and verse 36?
0: What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul?
2: Okay, thank you, Vicki. The, I, I think this is one of those verses that has had a profound impact on me. And when I look at, in the entertainment world, all the people who die with millions of dollars that would have given them up just to be anonymous in this world, um, it's just simply not worth it. We never get enough. We never have enough. That's a basic drive, I think, of mankind absent being guided by the Holy Spirit and following and seeking Jesus. We can gain all those things the world has to offer, and those things we gain simply won't fit into our coffin at the end of it all. We can forfeit our soul while pursuing things that won't last that will do nothing for us
1: in eternity, which should be the focus of our purpose here. You know what I think about with that, Mick, is um, King Tut. Think about when they found King Tut's tomb. Oh, all the things they buried with him? Absolutely, and they brought all those things so that he would be able to enjoy them in the afterlife. Well, I don't think he did, did he? Well, except
2: for that Xbox they found in. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, that's true. I mean, uh, buried with all kinds of material things, and uh, people would remember him by it, but he certainly didn't get to take that to whatever awaited him in the afterlife. Well, let's look at the words of of Jesus. Uh, Well, yeah, it's the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8
1: and verse 34. Pete? Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, that kind of
2: commitment uh, speaks loads to me. Uh, it, It talks about denying ourselves. It doesn't talk about whoever wants to be my disciple must go out and get multi-million dollar jets and several million dollar homes and huge bank accounts, millions and millions, and one televangelist even brags of being a or billionaire, it doesn't say that. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny themselves yourself and take up their cross and follow me. Cross being identifying with uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the Christian symbol. So you know, Jesus it,
0: it reminds me of the scripture just came to my mind. Yeah. It's in John, I think it's chapter 4, and uh, he responded to something that was being said, and he said, my food is to do the will of the Father. And that's Jesus' focus. When he's saying to uh, deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, we're supposed to be concerned about spiritual things.
2: Absolutely. Feeding
0: ourselves spiritually, uh, helping others to find Christ. That was what he was all about, and he was concerned about doing the will of his Father, And he wants us to be concerned about the same.
2: And the riches that the Lord promises to believers are spiritual riches, too. Mm, Yes. Well, what is the prosperity gospel as we've come to understand it? Um, It's a product of basically the last 60 or 70 years uh, since World War II is what I understand. The prosperity gospel essentially teaches that riches are a sign of God's blessing. And here's where it gets really wild, that you can command God to bless you financially. Now consider what that says. To the extent that's the truth, you're basically saying you're putting yourself in a position to order God around, to command him, to demand things from God. Guess what? That makes you a God, putting yourself in a position of a God to command
1: God, don't you think? I do. You know, I think this is where I'd like to maybe interject one thing because this reminds me of something that happened to me very early in my Christian walk. And when I'm talking about my Christian walk, I'm talking about not when I was a child and first gave my life to Jesus, but when I gave my entire life to Jesus in 1980, probably within a year or two of that, I was kind of searching, because it didn't happen in a standard church setting, if any of you remember that from my um, testimony episode, But I was kind of searching for different, you know, well, where where do I go to church? Where do I get fed? Things like that. And I believe there must have been a, a type of this type of gospel being preached at a place I went to one time, or maybe it was something I read. I can't remember specifically, but there was something that I remember specifically about the word command, that we are children of God, that we are equal with him because we're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And so we can command him to do things. And I remember taking this to heart and and praying one time and saying, God, I command you to do. And it's like within my spirit immediately, it was just like, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. Who am I to command God to do anything? Absolutely. Because he is the, he is the king I am his servant. I am his, in fact, I think some Bible versions even use the word slave. And yes, I mean, those are those are tough words, but I have to remember, he is sovereign. I am his servant. He is the boss. I am not. Absolutely, uh, Pete.
2: And uh, very dangerous ground for that kind of thing. I mean, everything we have, everything we are, comes from god he is worthy of all praise honor and glory just the thought of trying to demand or command things from god gives me a sick feeling and i think when you talk about in your spirit i think it was motivated by the holy spirit right within you well you know when people demand and command god to bless them under the prosperity gospel interestingly it usually uh, focuses necessarily on finances. And we've got to understand that when the Bible talks about prosperity, it's not limited to one, one little thing. Of course, God wants us to uh, have enough. Uh, I think of what Paul said, you know, uh, it was very important to me. He says, if we have food and clothes, we'll be satisfied. But some people uh, demand money from God, through this prosperity gospel uh, philosophy, and they expect God to deliver financially based upon their construction of words of Scripture, which we're going to get into a little bit. And when they receive those large financial blessings, if they receive large financial blessings from the Lord under prosperity gospel, they feel free to spend it however they like, extravagantly and carefree, and... You know, this kind of gets into a whole nother topic for another program, which I would just simply call "What's Our Responsibility
1: as as Stewards?" Right, stewardship. Well, can I share a scripture here, Mick? Absolutely. Real I'd like to share this from uh, Galatians chapter two, verse twenty, where Paul is speaking, and he said, "I have been crucified with Christ, mm-hmm. and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God." who loved me and gave himself for me. So he is talking about here, Paul is talking about the fact that he is responsible not to live for self, but to live for Christ and do the things that he believes that Jesus Christ would want him to do. And I think that's a a very important point, Pete.
2: Before we go to a break here, I was looking at a comparison of the true gospel with the prosperity gospel, and the first point they mentioned was that the true gospel is Christ-centered. The prosperity gospel is self-centered. And that's a theme going all the way all the way through it. Well, when we return from the break, I'm going to take a look at one of the scriptures that the prosperity gospel has latched onto and try to make a case for uh, financial riches. So uh, please stay with us, and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Reconciling Grace. This is Mick Wells, and I'm here with Pete Vecchi and Vicki Cundiff, and we are looking at the subject of the prosperity gospel. Before the break, I mentioned we were going to share a scripture that talks about prosperity, and this is from 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. And John says, And this is, by the way, addressed from John to his friend named Gaius. He says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. And I can recall back when my dad was alive and recording programs, he would frequently make reference to this scripture. The one thing I want to point out here is it says in all respects. It doesn't say just financially. It's more, when we when the Bible talks about Christians and praying that we prosper, in all respects, it's a more holistic look at the word prosperity. And it's not just weeding out, latching on to money and riches. I mean, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. Uh, you can't serve God and mammon, mammon being a word for money. But... Um, This says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So there's the word twice. Now, I can't even pretend to pronounce the Greek root word, although I did look it up. Here's what prosper means in the original Greek. To help on the road and to succeed in reaching. Where did that say anything about storing up millions of dollars and buying millions of dollars worth of things. Was it a toll road? I must have been. I, <laughs> I couldn't afford that particular one. But um, I wanted to share with you too, and I've asked Vicki to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Look at what's important as, as it relates to our faith.
0: Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls.
2: Amen. I think that says it really well. It the end of our faith is not to build up and accrue all kinds of riches, neither is it to solicit money from the people. God wanted you to help the poor and needy in this world. And yet what we find in the prosperity gospel is kind of a presentation where, you milk, where the individual milks that kind of support and gets even richer. Mm-hmm. I, I personally have all kinds of problems with that. And like you said, Pete, that kind of gives me a, a sick feeling in my spirit when I see those things happen. The end of our faith, the result of our faith and the joy that we have the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls that's where we should be focused mm-hmm. not on gathering and storing and accumulating all kinds of things that won't go forward into
1: the afterlife now if i might say something here Mick, too, because I, I, sure. I agree with everything that you just said but i do want to make sure that our listeners don't misunderstand and get to thinking that well, this means that we can never have, for instance, a bank account, or that we can't have, for instance, a retirement account. Um, there are things that you need to save up for. You know, you can't just go out and and if you need to uh, buy something for your home, a, a larger item in your home, or whatever it might be. This is not saying that you can never have any money. This is not a call necessarily to poverty. But I think what you're talking about is storing up more and more kind of akin to the to the man in the parable when Jesus talked about tearing down his barns and building bigger ones just because he had so much extra to store right it, it's
2: it's got you're exactly right i mean the lord didn't intend for any of us to starve to death nor be so rich that it would be nearly impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven as it says like a camel through the eye of, of a needle that the uh, he does Clearly, the Lord expects us to provide for our families, to have things, but also to be stewards of what we have to focus upon furthering the cause and kingdom of Jesus Christ, not to build ourselves up or satisfy some need for material gratification
1: of Mm -hmm. of some kind. And if I might use this as an example, here's a perfect example. We are in a studio right now. Uh, using a lot of recording equipment, using a lot of things that cost money. And we can talk to our recording engineer, Bob, about all the money that this stuff costs. And when it breaks down how it takes money to fix it, each one of us has come here to this studio from, I don't want to say, you know, tons of miles away, but none of us lives right here where we could walk to the studio. We each needed to drive here. So depending on your culture, depending on where you live, you do need certain material things. You do need certain material possessions even to carry out the ministry that, that God That's wants right. you to do. And so, for instance, churches uh, do need money to survive. You know, they're not about the money, but they do need money in order to uh, do the will of God and do the work of God in this culture. Yeah,
2: and money shouldn't become an idol. It's it's a means to serving God and helping poor people and the needy and so forth but it's not to be served and if we put anything before god it it arguably is idolatry if if that's the focus of of what we do
0: and it's also nothing wrong with being rich you know from the other side of the spectrum and you know sometimes god causes that to happen for people and then they can use that those finances for good an example of that is um the Salvation Army had received a donation, and I believe the amount was 1.3 billion dollars. Wow! And it was from Joan Crock. Ray and Joan Crock are the founders of McDonald's. Yeah. And so she had a lot of money, and so I saw this short little video uh, about this, and uh, she it started in San Diego, and she partnered with the Salvation Army, and she had this community center built, and it was deliberately put in poorer areas so that they could. Uh, Help those people to prosper in life and to help them have an opportunity to go to community center and the price would be very very cheap their membership is so cheap and so when this was so successful then she donated that 1.3 billion dollars and I don't know I don't don't know how many there is I know it's well over 30 that has been built across the United States and there's one up in Dayton and uh, I've worked there as a manager. Uh, for a cleaning company that I work for. Uh, but anyway, uh, what a beautiful facility. And so this money builds these centers. Yes. And then they operate them themselves. So there's an example of how God took the riches that he had given to someone and ha- helped other people to prosper. Now think of all of the people and all these croc centers that are prospering uh, in this. And, and when I say prosper, I don't mean financially. I mean, they're prospering in uh, learning things, like they focus on um, so many different avenues, whether it's just anybody or whether it's senior citizens or whether it's kids and there's homework help. There's just so much that's going to help them in life.
1: And that reminds me of one of the Bible verses that isn't in the Bible that often gets quoted, which is money is the root of all evil. Well, close. That is not in the Bible. That's correct. What is in the Bible (laughs) is money, excuse me, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, it's the attitude toward Mm money. Exactly, exactly. I I have
2: sometimes just whimsically—I didn't read this anywhere, but I've sometimes just whimsically wondered about when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, whether those with riches still approach the riches
1: as if they were poor and seek to do God's will, not just build it all up. Don't you think that God knows— what we can and can't handle? I mean, isn't it something, and I know we're getting off onto the uh, rabbit trails here, Mick, but um, isn't it true that so often people tend to not go to God when they are in less need? And the Mm -hmm. more need we are in, we tend to go to God more. We We need to realize that we need God just as much if we have a lot or if we don't have as much, but it's kind of a human nature to just... Kind of rely on ourselves and rely on our money when things are going well. And make God a last resort uh,
2: when he sh- we should be going to him first. Absolutely. You know, I've uh, found a couple of quotes that talk about prosperity in a balanced way. Now, these aren't out of the Bible. But I found one source that says, um, and with respect to the verse I read, that I pray in all respects you may prosper just as your soul prospers, et etc., This quote says prosperity is simply another word for well-being. It could be thought of generally, this is kind of a negative phrase here, it could be thought of generally as the absence of poverty, unhappiness, sickness, fear, and adversity. Now those are blessings that the Lord gives us. I consider those riches when I'm enjoying uh, enough to live on, to be happy, to have the inexpressible joy within me of knowing him, and um, the absence of sickness, the absence of fear, and the absence of adversity. Um, But what I'm trying to point out here is I believe that the Bible talks about prosperity not exclusively in terms of money and give me more, give me more, more, more to feed the sense of greed. Prosperity, God wants us to be well in all respects, and if we don't demand something specifically from God, like $3 billion or zillion dollars, then let's be happy uh, with what he gives us and ask him what he wants us to do with what he gives us. So, prospering in all respects can include finances, health, happiness, long life, and success. Not exclusively any one thing here. And another quote from the financial counselor, Larry Burkett, I like this one too, says, Rich or poor, we all have the same responsibility, and that is to keep our priorities straight, to commit our work to the Lord, to avoid wasting our lives on things that won't last into eternity, to be good and faithful stewards. That would be a great segue into a program on stewardship. Well, Let's look at some of the basic characteristics uh, that uh, have come to be associated with the prosperity gospel. I'm going to mention them in rapid succession here. They are basically faith, in in a certain interpretation, faith, wealth, and health. Uh, It's been suggested that those three are often associated under the umbrella of the prosperity gospel. Now, here's some differences, though, with respect to faith. Instead of faith being the rational trust in the proclaimed word of God, in accordance with available evidence, the faith of prosperity gospel adherence is positive thinking and expectation of God's material blessing. Positive thinking, called faith, necessarily results in material blessings if it is sincere. That's basically one of the tenets of this, of this uh, movement. So let me just say that uh, that's what faith isn't. Faith is not positive thinking. Uh, Vicki already shared with us earlier in the program that the object of our faith, the end result of our faith, the purpose is aimed at eternity and the salvation of our souls. And elsewhere in the Scripture, The Bible tells us very succinctly what faith is.
1: And Pete, would you share that? Yes, that's in Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is, I guess that this means that this is what faith is. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So we've mentioned
2: what faith is not and what faith is. The scripture makes it very clear what faith is. Uh, key scripture that Pete shared with us, though faith is mentioned all through the, the scriptures. You know, we're going to delve into this more in the in, uh, next program that we record on this subject. We'll take a deeper look at faith, wealth, and health, and what the Bible has to say about these things. You may have heard... Uh, different names for the prosperity gospel that we're going to be examining and uh, we'll get into those and how the Bible talks about prosperity we're going to revisit that did you know that God's Word actually consistently sets conditions where we might expect that the Lord will respond to us favorably with prosperity like to close out here with kind of a advanced look at one of the scriptures that's key to our, what our attitude should be toward prosperity. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, tells us, "'Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things.' But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness,
1: and all these things will be added to you. And I think that's a great place for us to end for today. Uh, Mick, I thank you for what you've shared so far, and I look forward to what you're going to be sharing again next time. That's Mick Wells. Vicki Cundiff is here with us. This is Pete Vecchi, and it's just about time for us to sign off for today's episode of Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. Lord willing, we'll be back with you again next time.
0: This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.